And there's more breaking news just coming into CNN right now. The special counsel, David Weiss, intends to seek an indictment against Hunter Biden relating to gun charges by the end of the month. That according to a new court filing. Biden had previously reached a deal involving a gun possession charge that would have allowed him to avoid prosecution if he met certain conditions over a 24-month period. Once his plea deal, though, fell apart in court, the future of the gun deal, uh, uh, the gun deal has been in limbo. Just one more. The president sure. said over the long weekend that he hasn't had the occasion to go to East Palestine. I just haven't been able to break. The derailment was on February 3rd. President Biden has not had a break since February 3rd. The president will go to East Palestine. He promised that he would, and he will. Uh, you saw him. On, uh, so he was not on a break when he was in Lake Tahoe? I will say this again. The president is going to go to East Palestine, as he has said that he is committed to do. You saw him just this Saturday visit uh, a rural area, right, that was uh, devastated. Some parts were devastated by uh, Hurricane Idalia, and he was there with the First Lady. They were able to hear directly from the American people, and he was able to talk about what is it that they need? What is it? What else do they need from the federal government? So the president is going to go to East Palestine. I don't have a time or, or date to announce at this time, but he will go. 18% of greenhouse gas emissions come from livestock farming. So if we eat less meat, we could significantly reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. Now, some people would be willing to eat less meat, but they lack the willpower. Human engineering could help. <laughs> Just as some people are naturally intolerant to milk or crayfish, like myself, we could artificially induce mild intolerance to meat by stimulating our immune system against common bo uh, bovine proteins. And in this way, we can create an aversion to eating eco-unfriendly food. I think as we try to harden the capacity to transmit energy, it's not irrational to make a judgment that you may have to, in a certain circumstance, shut off the power. I just don't know enough to know the detail of how to do that. I mean, where that decision is made. That's why we're starting off. I was talking with Ms. Sherman Randall, who handles this for me, about the need to put these meters along these so we know where, where the power is going down. You may be able to shut off parts. I just don't know enough to know that. Now, we can get into the stats. We could actually talk about the effects of natural disasters, their frequency, and their severity, and actually put it into historical context and give you actual intelligence on whether or not this is an increasing problem in the United States. But that's not the point that I think is important to make in this moment, is that I'm sick and tired of politicians standing on the graves of dead children in the case of school children, school shootings, or natural disasters where towns are burnt to the ground or destroyed by hurricane, and using it as a moment to ghoul and pimp for their politics. It's beyond grotesque to land into a disaster zone where people have been destroyed and to say, you know what should be the solution here? You know what the problem is? You haven't given me enough power. Your climate science, no, your climate change chicken little has turned into a religion. It's not to say there's not science in some of these elements for us to discuss, but you've turned it into a religion and you're the same people that can't sound an alarm in Lahaina and you're asking us to give you the power and money to turn over to you the global thermostat. Mm. I'm sorry, but you don't have the competency to run 
anything, much less to stand in these moments of destruction and say, the real problem here is you haven't given me enough power. I'm your co-host, Tom Pyle. And I'm Mike McKenna. We lost old Jimmy. Yeah, man. You know, Jimmy I, Buffett. I'm not I'm not particularly sentimental about folks, but but his his he was fun and his music was good. He just had a good vibe to he him, was. you know. I never I never actually went to a show. No, of course not. Don't be ridiculous. Why would you? But and I was never a big fan of the cheeseburgers and the margaritas, but he had some cool songs, and that one was one of my look, favorites. He's he's a lot like Absolutely. look. He's he's a lot like he's a lot like sports teams. He's a lot like it, the experience is a lot like sports teams. It's not that I don't like the Redskins. It's that I can't stand the Redskin fans. And it's not that I don't like the Cowboys. I can't stand <laughs> the Cowboy fans. It's not that I I love Jimmy Buffett, but the Parrotheads probably needed to be you know shot into well, space. You're speaking to someone who saw north of twenty dead shows, so. Uh, you're probably including me in that list. Um, no, no, I actually didn't like. The, I didn't like the Dead. Their fans are okay, but the Dead are terrible. Oh wow! Look at you. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, man. Was- uh, okay, so I want to give one quick story. This was uh, an article in the um, Houston Chronicle. The Margaritaville song uh, origin was not in Florida. Was not uh, in the you know uh, Caribbean. It was. Awesome. This is a little song about an island that's nowhere other than in your mind or at the bottom of the Cuervo bottle, Buffett said before playing the song in the live album, you had to be there. People ask me, they go, where the hell is Margaritaville? I go, it's anywhere you want it to be, baby. But it was uh, originally uh, at a bar in Austin. Austin, Texas. That's right. Called the El Rey, a Mexican restaurant on Anderson Lane, where they were having... Uh, margaritas nursing the hangover on the way to the airport uh and the song came to him uh and he wrote it more on the plane and finished it when he got home in key west so <laughs> little fun little fact for you but you know i i'm a very i'm a i'm i'm an okay writer um I've often wondered how great it must be to have that kind of level of skill. I know, right? You're just like it's crazy. I'm just going to dash off a song here while I'm on yep. a plane. It's all the greats are like that too. It's crazy. It is cool. Uh, okay, so Hunter Biden is going to be indicted by the end of the month. 
according to the sources close to the blah 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 um wall street journal said that few people are are really focusing on on this stuff um fewer anyway than they are uh, other issues I, you were right you were right about i mean i was shocked that the deal fell apart but i'm not actually totally shocked because he doesn't seem like a competent person no <laughs> to begin with no. but uh is this going to is this going to lead to something no more dramatic or is this just going to they're just just playing the string out what do you, what are your thoughts on where this is going to end they're just they're going to they're going to um it's going to wind we're going to wind up right back in a in a court with a plea deal just a slightly better one and he'll wind up doing 6 months at a halfway house would be my guess i mean it's a it's a gun charge so the beef isn't strong, right? It's a gun charge, you know, stapled onto the back end of a drug charge. But, mm -hmm. you know, first offender, I guess first offender. I mean, just, you know, it's, as far as the United you know, the courts, he's first offender. He's six months and halfway house, about right sentence, right? The, you know, we're still, we're still looking for really strong evidence of the smoking gun, right? The connection between him and the president and, 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 and all he, the money in the banks and everything else, right? You know, I'm to my, to my mind, to my mind, the $4 million worth of real estate in Wilmington purchased on a senator's salary is probably reason enough to have questions about the connection. Hey, but, 10. 10% for the big guy. And he's just talking about the weather I, on those calls. So yeah, it was, yikes. you know, I, I don't understand this thing with East Palestine, like Palestine. It, it is so, just go and get it over with for God's sake. It's so bizarre. What is going on with this man? Well, if you remember, we had the same, he had the same thing with the border, right? He, he, he didn't, I'm not going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. He never, never, never went. And then when he finally went, he basically stood on the hill in El Paso above the um above the border crossing, yeah. you know, stood on the Walmart hill and uh, uh for about ten minutes and then he drove away. That was that. I, I Yeah. He, I don't he, even he doesn't I do this. He, don't he, he doesn't, really care. I just I'm just fascinated by this like aversion whoa, to whoa. checking the box on this thing. <laughs> I have to be honest so. with you. I don't understand. Like, why does anybody want the president to come visit them? It's not like he helps. I mean, he's not picking right. up a no, shovel. He shuts anywhere. down. The, she shuts everything down and a, yeah, and all that and, stuff. And, and, so and the speeches are always the same. I mean, unless you're, the speeches are always the same, which is fine, unless you've just had three or four hundred people die and like everything you own burnt to the ground, and then Joe Biden shows up and tells you. Yeah, this is like a kitchen fire I had where my he boy almost lost his he almost lost his bet in his cat, dude. Give him a break. You know, it's like a kitchen fire I had and, and Bo Biden, my son, died, by the way, in combat during fire. Yeah. So okay. I you know I have a section on Biden Lion. Uh believe it or not, the Bezos Post um uh did an article on it. So let's save that for okay. later. Okay. This guy, this was a TED talk, okay? Yeah, who is that guy? Bio bioethicist, whatever that is. Uh the beginning clip he jagged about how he, he sort of did the whole climate is boiling thing. And then he this was his solution to to uh climate change, uh re resolving climate change. So uh you know I'm like you first, buddy. Honest, honestly, like who's gonna go first with, with all these folks? The population people, um, 
you know, he wanted you to, to be able to have the ability to slap a meat patch on your arm when you go to a restaurant so you don't feel like ordering a steak. So I'm going to be cooking a veal chop tonight in his honor. And Just, I look very much forward to it. We don't get into this much, but I want to I want to thank the founding father fathers. Um, I know it's popular calling the framers now to avoid the fact that they were all men, white men. But yeah, I, I, I want to thank I'm all about fathers. I want to thank the founding fathers for embedding in the Constitution the Second Amendment. So when these guys come around, like we <laughs> we have we have recourse outside the now completely busted and corrupt legal system. I mean, seriously, how about we put a patch on you that makes you resistant to saying idiotic stuff? Right. At TED Talks. Maybe we should uh, put it. Well, no, I'll get to it. All right. So <laughs> thanks for coming uh, to this, this TED rant Talk. Was, this rant was on Fox and Friends, I believe it was. Will. <laughs> it was who? Will Kane. Yeah. He's a sports guy. Now he's sort of, you know, Fox guy. This I played this clip because I wanted to. Uh, oh wait, I skipped the other one. Hold on, Biden wants the power to shut off your power. Yeah, during wildfires. So, but he's not quite sure how it's going to work. But put a smart meter on your, and then we'll figure out the areas where we need to shut you down. So, I played those two clips for the Will Cain rant because. Uh, that he's absolutely right, one. Sure. And two, you're absolutely right, or I should say the voters are absolutely right, because every single time that we ask them who should handle these problems, the government is the last on the list, and they never pull well at all. Seriously. And it's about who do you trust to do good stuff, yeah. right? It, it ain't the government ever, and yet this is their whole entire like he said, this is every time that this happens. He said, "Just give us more power, and we'll give you more money." It, it's the, it's the New Deal, Bubba. It's the New Deal. You just keep giving us authority and cash, and we'll keep staying in power and talking to you nicely. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to throw our recent survey in the show notes so that you can uh, see that uh, in the flesh. Um. All right, we got a whole bunch of stuff this week, and then we also have a special guest that Mike interviewed earlier in the week that we're going to pop into the podcast, Mr. Ryan Walters, who is the Oklahoma Superintendent of Public Instruction, and that's statewide, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, and uh, Mr. Walters and Mr. McKenna waxed poetically about very important issues like expanding school choice. Reorienting the curriculum towards celebrating American values. Gosh, that's a tough one. And of course, uh, the success of religious schools. So I think you guys will enjoy it. It was a pretty good conversation. I wish I was there uh, to interview him as well, but, you know, duty called. So uh, we'll pop that into the show notes later. Any announcements from you, sir? No, I don't think so. Okay. I had this horrible feeling I've forgotten something like I always you do. Will. You'll, yeah. you'll come back. So I want to also just plug the show and say thank you to everybody uh loyal listeners and new listeners and we never and we we do this because we love to do this uh and we'll continue to do it but we also uh you know need to it, it's not free so i'm gonna have alex put in the show notes a link to uh, a way to contribute to the american energy alliance and if you feel like doing it great if not no big deal either but uh you know a little goes a long way so thank you very much for that 
Okay, this day in history, sir. I got an interesting one here. 1813. 1813, September 7th, 1813, was the Battle of Lake Erie. No, no battles. Darn it. Okay, this is the official date. They say that the United States got the nickname Uncle Sam. Okay. And I knew, knew none of this. I never even thought about it. I thought it was just World War One propaganda or whatever. But apparently... There is a dude named Samuel Wilson who is a meat packer. Yep, meat packing. From Troy, New York, who supplied barrels of beef to the army during the War of 1812. And the barrels were stamped with U.S. But soldiers began referring to the grub as you, Uncle S. Sam's. Uncle Sam's beef. Uncle Sam's beef. Yeah. So that is literally... That combined with a political cartoonist named Thomas Nast, you've probably heard of him, who sort of gave it his, you know, image with the big hat and the beard and everything else. And and thus, the birth of Uncle Sam. I had no idea about that. Yeah, I, so. I, I, I knew he was a meatpacking guy. I knew he was an upstate. I wasn't sure where. I didn't know his name. I mean, I knew his name was Sam, but I didn't know the rest of it. Yeah. In, in 1961, because... 1960. The government does, does something. No, no, this is part of this. Yeah. Because the government does th stuff so efficiently. Recognized Samuel Wilson as the progen progenitor? Progenitor. Progenitor. Progenitor of America's national symbol of Uncle Sam. And he died uh, at 87 in 1854. Okay, 1963. September 7th, 1963. Uh, uh, John Glenn. Nope. Uh, Alan. A little bit obscure. This was the opening of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. And the first two inductees were Jim Thorpe and George Hallis. That makes sense. Jim Thorpe's the best athlete the United States has produced in the last 100 years. 120 years. Uh, you know, it's weird. I've been to Canton. Yeah. I've never been to Cooperstown. you never been to Cooperstown? Like, how is it possible that I've not been to the Baseball Hall of Fame yet? I've been to so, Cooperstown twice, haven't been to Canton once, driven past it three or four times, but haven't been in it. I have been to all 30 MLB stadiums, but I've not been to the Hall of Fame yet. Cooperstown? So. It's it's okay. It's worth an afternoon. Um. Okay, last one. In 1979, sticking with sports... September 1979. 1979. An obscure, weird thing called cable. Oh, ESPN. Yes, yes. ESPN was born in 1979. I think it died in like 2010, <laughs> 2015. That's me. So. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. Uh, Congress is partially back. The Republic is no longer safe. Say the Republic's partially uh, safe. The Senate is uh, in this week working on nominations, but that is not what people are thinking about and talking about. Uh, the focus is on Senator McConnell, who um, had another pause or freeze during a uh, press uh, gaggle, and uh, for the most part, everyone's sticking with him. Uh, and and there's not a lot of uh, 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 slippage in terms of his support for his leader role, but but Rand Paul had something interesting to say about it. Here it is. I think it's an inadequate expl explanation to say this is dehydration. 
Well, I've practiced medicine for 25 years and it doesn't look like dehydration to me. It looks like a focal neurologic event. That doesn't mean it's incapacitating, doesn't mean he can't serve, but it means that somebody ought to wake up and say, wow, this looks like a seizure. So Wall Street Journal said, quote, we agree that too many people cling to power for too long in Washington, but Senate leaders are chosen by their party colleagues who are in the best position to judge Mr. McConnell's continuing abilities. If they think Mr. McConnell can still be an effective leader of an increasingly fractious GOP Senate conference, then he should stay in the job. So no one's going to ditch Mitch, and Mitch made the announcement that he's not going anywhere. Um, I guess that's settled at least for now. What are your thoughts, big guy? Yeah, um, I agree with Dr. Paul, right? It's not dehydration. Um, the other thing that Dr. Monahan said, right, was that it's not the result of the concussion. The other thing that Dr. Paul said was probably wrong. I hate, I mean, yeah, it's pro probably not a result of seizure. As um, fortunately, I have a, I have a, I have an expert in, um, I have an expert in, um the aging of the brain inside the family. So I had a conversation with, with him, um, who shall remain nameless because I don't want to get him in trouble with his trade association, his, his credentialing association. But he said, look, that happens with old people all the time, right? They have thought blockers, right? They just, they have a thought block. They have the thought, they can't get it out. He said, it's, you know, it's it's aphasia um, brought on by some early onset dementia. This is not a big thing, just happens, but it bears watching. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's probably what's going on here is everybody's trying to avoid that word dementia because it has so much freight in our society. Yeah, sure. But the truth is, is that, you know, everybody, everybody over a certain age has, is experiencing dementia. That's just, that's the way the world is. Should he stay or should he go? Well, it's totally up to him and the, and the right. it's totally up to him and the caucus. I, I, I would Yeah, I've seen this. You and I have both seen this. I, you know, I've seen this with guys I respect. It's just a terrible thing to kind of watch. You don't really want to watch this thing. And that's the, yeah. thing. the thing about these folks staying is they they almost kind of, you know, they they make it a thing. They 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 make you watch it. I mean, nobody really wants to see another human being have trouble. But yeah, that's right. But here we are. I do think I do think that uh, it is a little bit of a different position. Than the presidency, it's a lot different. In America, it's a lot different. Um, no, no Senate, and, no Senate leader in history has ever launched a nuclear weapon. Right, so. and so I'm more more concerned about Biden, um, President Biden, and the fact that uh, he doesn't look appear to have it all together. Uh, but the, you know, the GOP is sort of making Biden's Biden's bumbling an issue. Yeah, this doesn't like, right. this undermines that a little bit. You know if this continues, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm I'm actually I'm just not a big fan of Mitch right now because he's just all about Ukraine. Like that's the only thing he's doing and talking about. Like it is not the single most important issue that the Republicans should be rallying around, and it's bugging me. Yeah, so I no, just want to get that off my chest. I'm with you totally. You know, I give I think I mentioned this last week, right? Jonathan Martin. Um, you know, Jonathan Martin. Um, wrote a great article a couple of weeks ago in Politico about this, right? Where he caught it exactly right on. I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know what motivates this kind of thing, but there it is. Yeah. Let's switch over to the house. Shall we? The house is back next week. 
The sole focus for that crew is going to be the appropriations process and what to do with a continuing resolution. The Speaker McCarthy wants a clean CR, and he's the date's kind of moving around a little bit, but uh, they're sort of settling on mid mid uh, November uh, for the first tranche. Yeah. Um, this is going to come I right out of the box uh, and all through August house freedom caucus has made it absolutely clear that a clean CR is a non-starter that yeah. there should be a concession or a fight over an important issue that should be tied to it. Um, and I think my spidey sense tells me that I think, the border issue is probably going to be the the one that they want to advance and and part of me thinks that reason is because now you have some moderate republicans who are being impacted by the border issue i'm talking about the new york crowd and others so if there is one issue that i think the hard riders uh the, the freedom freedom lovers and the mod squad can get around it's probably this this border stuff the yeah. hr2 or whatever so that's my assessment of it, but uh, we'll see how it rolls. But uh, I don't think the speaker is going to have a lot of wiggle room to just do a clean CR on this. So yeah, yeah I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you I give you you know my my version in short. Right, we're going to wind up with we may wind up with a shutdown right at the top of October for a couple of days. Right, I don't know. It's I think that's possible. I think we want we may wind up with two shutdowns. Right, one in. October and then one closer to Christmas. I think ultimately we're going to have to give it a 75-day CR string, right? Whether that comes in a 45-day pulse and then a 30-day pulse, it doesn't really matter. But we're gonna we're gonna wind up um, we're gonna wind up doing that. This thing's gonna get, wind up getting done on Christmas. Um, ultimately, it's gonna get passed over the objection, whatever the omnibus, the CR, whatever we have coming our way in. in December is going to get passed over the objections of the House Freedom Caucus, and it's going to get, it's going to involve Democrats and Republicans, and it's yeah. going to split the caucus, and we're going to have a motion to vacate, either right before Christmas or when everybody gets back. Um, you know, I so, just, so I, I, th I don't see how else this thing turns out because you know, and McConnell to come back to our 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 other issue, McConnell is summoning that he's manifesting that by insisting on the ukraine money i mean there's just he must know there's no way the hfc guys can eat another 25 billion dollars but that's exactly yeah. where he's sending them yeah and the the fact that they're tying the disaster stuff which the bill keeps growing i don't know what the latest number is but uh to ukraine where of course they want it to be severed and the white house says no it's absolutely important that they come together uh, we all know why, because there isn't nearly as much support for shoveling billions more of cash into the coffers yeah. of the Ukraine situation. If, so, if, if 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 Speaker McCarthy is not Speaker McCarthy on January fifteenth of next year, Senator McConnell is going to have a lot to a lot a lot of um uh, a big part in that a big part in that yeah yeah he he so, he, he, know, he I, could I, make it easier for him and he's making it tougher for him. So, so let's do a report card on this, you know, normal, regular order situation. Congress, the House has passed one bill on the floor. The other 12 are languishing. 11, the Senate yeah. has passed no bills. Yeah, they're going to try. That to was what they were going to do anyway.
but but I do like the idea of forcing some policy change on the CR because at least it's not the status quo, yeah. right? Yeah. At least it's not the status quo. And and if that's all we're going to end up getting and then getting what we always get afterwards, they marked up all the bills individually. Hopefully they'll pass a few more in September on the floor. Uh, so they're marching towards sort of changing the culture here and getting back to separating these bills out and not having this big, ridiculous end of the year garbage. So we'll see what happens. Uh, yep. It'll be interesting. But uh, this is really crunch time for, for Speaker McCarthy. He could be... He could be a, a speaker no more, as Mike said, uh, next year, uh, if this turns out uh, pretty poorly for him. I have no idea how it's going to turn out anything other than poorly for him. Breaking news, Mike. I don't know if you heard this. Go ahead. Tampa Bay uh, Times reported, uh, this is a couple weeks ago now. I'm, uh, <laughs> Not breaking, breaking news. Well, it's breaking news because no one heard about it or cared when it happened, so... Mayor Miami Mayor Francis Suarez suspends his 2024 presidential bid. I did see this. Yeah, <laughs> I, he 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 said that it had been an honor to run for president, and he was sorry that he disappointed his follower. Um, so it, yeah, it's it was... <laughs> singular. <laughs> it... All right, so uh, the suspend the campaign thing. I love it. Uh, I, I just, I'm sure people. Mo Many of our listeners probably know this, but when you suspend your presidential campaign, you can continue raising money for your presidential campaign. So that's why you hear this like, didn't I didn't end it, I suspended it. And then, of course, the excuse is, well, circumstances might change and the country might just, you know, all of a sudden see me as the as the phoenix rising out of the ashes. So I'll get back in the race. So one down. <laughs> Yeah, like 15 to go yeah, before Trump ascends to the nomination if, if trends continue. So we'll see. I was going to be dispositive, I think. All right. Uh, let's get into it to here. Washington Post, Jeff Bezos Post. Maybe we should have. Hold on, hold on, hold on before you get to the next one. Maybe we, yeah. should, maybe we should try to guess who's going to drop out next. Okay, that's easy, Bergam, unfortunately, for him, uh, because I do like his message. It's all about bashing China and, and energy, uh, but he's just not going to get the traction. I think he's going to roll out next. I hope if and we – I hadn't thought about him. I was going to guess Asa Hutchinson was going to run out of money before Bergam did. That's uh, really going to be – that's really It'll the be question. A close contest between the two. Well, Bergam has unlimited money. That's so. right. That, that's really the question: is like who's going to run out of money or the willingness to spend their own money? I hope Doug Bergam winds up as Secretary of Commerce. I'd love to see him in charge of the Export Administration, the Import Administration. He'd be fun. He'd be fun. Well, I don't. I doubt he will under under a President Trump because isn't that all about tariffs? Partially. Yeah. yeah but I think Bergam would be like his guy, right? He'd be like. I, Put me in there and I'll put me in there and I'll crucify the Chinese for you. Maybe. Go ahead. I'm here. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean it. Right, I didn't so mean it. I, These, the Bezos continuing. So Bidenomics, this is what they're running on. Jared Bernstein's all over the, uh, you know, CNBC <laughs> saying, you guys got it wrong. People are understanding. They're coming around on this. They get it. <laughs> <laughs> this is from the post delinquent Washington Post delinquencies rise for credit cards and auto loans and it could get worse 
with interest rates going up, more consumers have missed payments on household debt. Most more Americans are fa falling behind on their car loan and credit card payments than at any time in more than a decade. A troubling signal of consumer stress as higher budgets and rising borrowing costs are squeezing household budgets. And of course, the pain is most acute for low-income earners who have largely used up whatever they managed to save during the pandemic. Uh, the numbers, let me see. The economy finds its uh, post-pandemic footing. There are signs that hardship for consumers will get worse. The average credit card interest rate is at a record high 20.6%, according to bankrate.com, and it appears to be climbing. As the Fed said, they could continue interest rate increases, mounting bills piling up, uh, 70 million more credit cards open now than were in 2019, and the total credit, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, exceeded a trillion dollars for the first time. Yeah. This is, this is gonna, this isn't gonna, no, this isn't gonna be a good thing a lot. This no. is gonna be a, a major issue with defaults and everything yeah so actually the, the the one other thing that's it the one other thing yes that none of that's good on a personal level on a on an institutional level and this is something probably we should have talked about for a second or two in the question about crs or the continuing resolution federal government's going to have to announce somewhere around november 15th that the um deficit for fiscal year 2023 was north of two trillion dollars that's a doubling from FY 2022, right? Where it was a, a trillion dollars. This guy's doubled the this guy's doubled the deficit in a year, right? It's it's, it's an it's an, an enormously um, bad 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 sign. This Bidenomics thing, you know, we're gonna have with two the with bottom the, up and middle out. Uh, I don't even know what that means. Why do they keep saying it? What the hell does that mean? <laughs> the um the I hate focus group tested stuff that I like from the bottom up in the middle out. No, 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 trickle down, trickle down. How nobody, how does nobody ask him a question? Like, what the hell are you talking about? But anyway, I could easily imagine the rating agencies will downgrade the United States debt again, and that's what Bidenomics has been so far. It's been the it's been the Fitch's downgrade, right? It's been the Fitch's yes, downgrade. But... It's been inflation. I mean, it's been it's been unemployment numbers that are good but not great it's not like we're employing lots more people than we were in 2020 there's a lot of missing bodies it, it this is bad this is just not good sorry yeah um yeah i mean i i i can speak to it personally you know i've, I've been running up the, the 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 bill a little bit too in part because i've had to do home repairs but i mean i don't think i've been in this much debt in a long time so well uh, you, i could imagine what other people are going through and what they feel about it so well you know tom you just need to build yourself back up from the bottom up and the middle out whatever trickle, <laughs> now i need to trickle down all right so uh sticking with the bezos post for a minute yeah uh so we all know Biden's uh, lying, you know, mis misinterpreting facts. Um, the Post delicately tried to write a story about it, and this is the headline: Biden loves to re retell certain stories. Some aren't credible. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy uh, Richard Ben Kramer wrote a book. Uh, about his 88 campaign, which I can't imagine it would be exciting reading. But he said, Joe Biden shared his life or his version of it 
continuously. <laughs> he confided it, displayed it, spread it, even expanded it to connect it with your life. He would settle for nothing less. And then they go into the um all of the gaffes, all the you know, embellishments, the fire in the house, um, the oil slick in on his windshield. <sighs> The tail of the Amtrak conductor, which was like, you know, so random, like this guy. Corn Pop. Five years later. Interestingly enough, they said Corn Pop was the least Whopper of the Whoppers. That's only because they couldn't track down anybody who named who might have been named Corn Pop or anything like it. It was so far in the past <laughs> that the, the, the trail had, law, had been had run into jungle. They, had, they didn't know what to do so, with it. That's I love that. Uh, I love that the post- the post headline on that it's like oh you can't like so i got a better i got a better i I, i'm gonna bring this up now because i don't know what else i could bring it up um the uh i think it was politico ran a story yesterday that said hey you know um these trump these trump these biden books are not selling at all nobody wants to buy them and and i was just like yes and the headline was like you know you know, Biden, Biden books failing or, you know, nobody wants to, why, right? And the answer is, the reason why they get what no one wants to read them is because, you know, the Biden White House is a no drama zone and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, you know, there's one possible answer. Here, here's another possible answer. It, the guy, the guy is just, nobody wants to read about him. Nobody likes him. Nobody cares about him. Move along. Well, he's, he's more likable than President Trump in the new Wall Street Journal poll that came out, which said that basically the, the two are running neck and neck. Yeah. Um, which but is... in that poll, they also said, what, Trump's like three years younger, four? Four years younger. Like he blew him away on competency. Of course. Right? Of course. So. Because it's, of course. It, yeah. And his numbers are crap all across the board. Like the fact that the, Democrats are rallying around him. Bernie's now a big surrogate. Um, it's it's shocking to me. I mean, it's not to me. Uh, it's not to me. Although, if I were a Democratic strategist, I'd kind of wonder the the ninety one and ninety one counts, ninety one felony counts. A guy who's been tagged as racist and xenophobic and hater and blah blah blah, and like take all the incoming he could take for the last eight years now. And you're still not you're still not doing better than even with him. I mean, yeah. <laughs> at some point, you got to be like, "Hey, man, maybe we're not running the right candidate against this guy." Seriously. All right, so this is a little segment I call "Other People's Money." The first is Blinken, who is in Ukraine, who announced that he will Americans will invest more than five hundred and twenty million dollars. To make Ukraine's energy infrastructure cleaner and more resilient. Golly. And then, of course, John Kerry is overseas spending other people's money. Uh, he was proud to announce the first winners of the Project Phoenix. Chechia, Poland, and Slovakia will receive U.S. support to explore converting coal plants to innovative small modular reactors. Hey, maybe he could do that here in America. Oh, he's not done. Oh, sorry. He took a jet to Africa at the Africa Climate Summit in Nairobi and announced that the U.S. will provide an additional $30 million 
to accelerate climate resilient food security efforts. Maybe look at the meat patch across Africa as part of implementing the POTUS's Operation Prepare. Hey, can I ask a question? Can that guy with yeah. the meat patch come up with an airplane patch that we could stick on carry? <laughs> I mean, I got one too, and this is I mean, the Whopper. I mean, if you can make yourself meat intolerant, can you make yourself airplane intolerant? This is the Whopper. Are you ready for this one? Yo. Uh, U.S. offers $12 billion, with a B, to automakers oh, yeah, I saw and that. suppliers yeah. for advanced vehicles. This is from Reuters. The Biden administration is making $12 billion available in grants and loans for automakers, ladies and gentlemen, companies who are making a huge profit, who are doing quite well by themselves and other advanced uh, to to produce electric and other advanced vehicles secretary jenny said while we transition to evs we want to ensure that workers can transition in place and there is no worker no community left behind yeah of course that, we know why that is happening yeah that, we well, well into that but that's a straight this, that's a straight bribe of the uaw of course, because they need his. They need their endorsement. Well, forget that. They don't want him to strike. Yeah, I mean, don't so, get me don't get me wrong. Bidenomics is working, but if the UAW strikes, that's going to be bad. Although I, I got to be honest, I'm totally digging like what they've asked for: a 32 hour work week and 46 bucks as a minimum wage. I'm like, this is the greatest set of requests ever. Yeah. So, anyways, this this whole like transition to EVs is it's just we're gonna have a whole entire like coalition on this we're announcing, and we are just gonna like really focus on this because there's so much out there. I saw another article that Hertz can't like no one wants to rent their EVs, and when they do, their their experiences are miserable, right? So, I mean, people just aren't like, they, they get the joke here. Like, that's not, I'm not getting something better. I'm getting something less reliable, you, much like our electricity grid is becoming because of this. Do you remember, wait, do you remember way back, like 30 years ago when Proterra failed? Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. The press, 30? the press has really yeah. covered that, right? That, that was a generation ago, wasn't it? Or was it 30 well, days I mean, the ago? Auto guys, the auto guys aren't going to like go out of business with this money. But the, but the point of all of this segment is every single penny is the money that we send to Washington. Yeah. Nobody cares about that anymore, Tom. And it's going to countries, companies, not, it's not getting used for anything that met, that is a value to you as an individual out there trying to, trying to make it. That's nonsense. What kind of person are you? Don't you want to give the Ukrainians money so they can have clean energy? You're a horrible All person. Right, and by the way, when your when your friends close down the government, I want you to remember this. <laughs> let's let's segue to the interview with Ryan Walters. Uh, again, as a reminder, uh, the Oklahoma Superintendent of Public Instruction, and uh, uh, Mike and and Ryan had a good chat. Here it is, and then we'll come back on the other side and talk a little bit about. It. Hey, I'm here with. Uh... Ryan Walters, who's the uh, superintendent of public instruction uh, in the state of Oklahoma. Um, and it is exactly what it sounds like. 
he sort of does education for a living. So I'm going to let him talk and me not talk so much. Tell us about your background. <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me on. You know, we're really upending the education establishment in Oklahoma. And so it's been a lot of fun and we're getting a lot of momentum and a lot of movement going on. But, you know, my, my background is I was a, I was a history teacher. Uh, Where? Uh, in McAllister, Oklahoma. So it's a really small rural town. I know McAllister. Do you? Sure, man. If you remember in True Grit, that's where they were going. They yeah. were going to J.J. McAllister's house yeah. in True Grit. Um, yeah, so, you know, I got really involved in education. I won a few awards as a teacher and started looking at education policy. And it just it just didn't make sense why we did the things we did in our schools. Where are you from originally? That's where I was from. I went back and taught in my hometown. Oh, nice. Yes, that's sir. nice. Where'd you go to college? I went to college at Harding University okay. in Arkansas. All right. So uh, did that. Got a got a um, uh, bachelor's of science degree in, in history. So that was my background. There. And you played what baseball in high school? I, I played baseball, basketball, and tennis. Yeah. And so that was that was kind of my sports. There. It's not a hard guess, gang. He's a tall, lean guy. So you know, he's, <laughs> baseball, right? Oklahoma. Okay. So you went back home. I'm sorry to mean to interrupt. You went back home. Yeah. You're teaching history, and you're thinking there's things that could be improved here. Yeah, you know, you just looked at certain things. You know, I, I looked at one that was just to me common sense is, hey, when you're doing a great job as a teacher, why do we pay you the same as the teachers that don't do a great job? You look at that. I say that out loud and, and the teachers union lost their mind. I looked at things. I you know, started reading a lot of different folks and started talking about school choice. Well, the teachers unions didn't like that. And, and as I began looking more and more about it, it just seemed to me this entire education system isn't built upon student achievement, isn't built upon excellence. Um, and so you started talking about these ideas, end up running for office, uh, becoming the state superintendent, which is basically uh, not a lot of states elect that office, but we do. So it puts me in charge of the schools and in charge of the agency that enforces all rules, regulations around the schools. So that's how we end up here. Good. Well, I'm sorry about here, but I get your point. <laughs> what? Um, everyone's got priorities. And if I ask you to list them, you're going to give me your campaign speech. What are your top, what top, what, what three things do you want to accomplish as part of this gig? So, you know, when I say that I want, you know, there's some metrics we want to see. We want to see reading and math dramatically improve. We've seen this as a country. We've seen it as our state that we see proficiency rates continue to drop and we see it across the board. So what do we do to get back on track there? The other thing that I want to see is I want to see us move to an education system that really goes back to teaching American exceptionalism. What are America's principles and view American history through the lens of those principles, right? So you look at our history. When do we live up to those principles? When are the moments we haven't? But given our kids an understanding of what made America great, it's an inspiring story for them as individuals, but it also it sets us up to continue to be the successful country we are. And lastly, it is to regain control of our education system to our parents. We have seen the federal government, we've seen the teachers unions, we've seen these radical left-wing groups that have continued to push parents out. So what we've seen is a school system that's overly bureaucratic, treats kids just as, as a cog in a machine rather than an individual doesn't push students to be exceptional, keeps mom and dad out. So what we want to see is a full embrace of not only parent choice uh, of choosing a school, but parental rights, making sure that their kids aren't being forced uh, to be a part of liberal indoctrination, making sure that they get to choose a path for their kids. That might mean college. That might mean an in industrial job right out of school. And then finally, beginning to see school budgets and see where is this taxpayer investment going and is it actually leading, uh, leading to student outcomes? I want you to think about this question because there's a couple of different answers to it. 
uh, and I have my own opinions about it. Why do Catholic schools like generally do better than public schools in this country? Despite the fact that they draw from essentially the same, if not worse, socioeconomic groups. Yes, sir. Good question. I, I want to hear your take on it too. But my 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 answer is. I'll give you mine first. But oh, you want to give yours first? No, no, yeah. you, no, no. Go ahead. You're ready. You're ready to go. Go ahead. I, I'll let you go. I think number one is there's a focus on academic achievement. Uh -huh. I think that you have that that group there that is very focused on that. I think number two, you have discipline in the school. I believe that they do a tremendous job of saying, look, when you come to school, you're going to act right and you're going to come in and perform. And, and that when you put expectations on kids, kids rise to that level of expectation. And then I think lastly, it is, you know, look, the religious component of, of, of their school, you know, it is it is pushing kids to do more that they believe that, hey, God wants you to to utilize your talents. I believe you embed that in a school. And again, you know, I, I think that you're going to see a lot of success. All right. Now I'm interested to hear. How close am I to what your thoughts are around? Yeah, that? everything flows out of that third one, mm -hmm. right? And and I mention it because you mentioned that you know one of the things you want to you want to one of your priorities, one of your metrics you're thinking about is, um, you know, do kids have some kind of value grounding, right? Do they ground are they grounded in values? Is the education grounded in values? Does it mean something, right? Because once a, once 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 any anybody child, adult, whatever, feels, okay, this is important for a reason external to itself, they're much more likely to do it. You're much more likely to take the discipline. You're much more likely to take it seriously and all that other hoorah, right? Um, and I will freely admit I'm a product of both Catholic and public schools, but Catholic schools are you know, much better in my experience because discipline, but mostly because context, mm -hmm. right? What's the thing you're most proud of so far? Oh, the thing I'm most proud of so far is we passed through parents' uh, Bill of Rights through our board, which said that if you have any kind of conversation around a kid involving uh, changing their gender, that you have to disclose that to a parent. We also passed a rule adjacent to that that said you can't have any sexually explicit material in our schools. We heard this so many times along the campaign trail of these examples. We had a, a mother who came in who said, look, I, I'm a liberal Democrat, but, in, 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 you know, and so, I, you know, our politics don't always align. But my daughter, they came in, and I had a school counselor that not only told her to change her gender, not only told her to keep it from me, told her and helped her devise a plan to run away from home in order to carry out this new lifestyle. And so, look, I believe that was an important first step to secure that into our our rules and regulations of schools to not allow that to happen. Yep. And so uh, we felt like it was necessary to stop that immediately. So I was really proud that we were able to move that along as quickly as we were. Good. Um, you should be proud of that. Um, thing that you're working on that needs the most work. What do you work? I don't want to say where, what's your deepest ditch, but what's your deepest ditch? Okay. Yeah, no, that, that one's a, uh, you know, there, there's several problems, but you know, one of our biggest ones right now is our biggest school district is Tulsa public schools. It's also our worst performing. Um, I'll throw some numbers at you that are just astonishing. 88% of the kids in that school do not read on grade level. They have some of their elementary schools, they have 15 elementary schools where over 95% of their kids do not read on grade level. I've been pushing the school to change. 38,000 kids go to the school. Yeah. Been pushing the school to change, push the school to have an action plan. They wouldn't. Their superintendent did it. I demanded she resign. She did. We're now working with an interim to devise a plan of dramatic transformation. But when you see a district of that size that has fallen that far, um, you know, it, it is a top priority for us right now is to say the biggest district in the state 
should be performing. And, and when you have that kind of money, that kind of staff model. I was going to say Tulsa is a fairly, I don't say well-off city, but they're a prosperous city. They're, hey, look, money, you know, and so many times you see this in education. What do the unions say? What do the administrators say? Well, if we had more money, we would do AB. Look, money is not the problem here. And when we see our educational outcomes as low as they are, this is a district. They get $2,000 on average per kid more than the state average. They have a huge uh, foundation there that pumps millions of dollars into the school every year. The money is there, but the reality is, is they allowed teachers unions to control so much of what was going on in the school. They allowed an administrator to continue to make excuses. Can, can I can I yeah. stop you there for yes, just sir. one second? Because you just used a phrase that I'm, I'm not completely sure about. Teacher unions. Are they really teachers unions? So are, are you saying are, that they're not functioning as a union? No, I'm saying they're functioning as a union. What I'm what I'm saying is, is that how much are they teachers unions and how much are they administrators unions? <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that, that's what I'm that's the scab I'm picking at because I think most people I could be wrong here, but most people's experience with teachers are teachers come in two varieties, right? They're good mm -hmm. or they're um or they're lazy, right? They're and in some cases they're lazy because they're burnt, right? Um but you know, most people don't run across teachers who are actively hostile to the interests of the child, right? Administrators are a completely different kettle of fish. Their 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 audience is not necessarily the kids or the parents. Am I am I am I am I barking up a tree that's close to the right one? No, you're incredibly uh, spot on with this. And this is something that I when I go out and talk to people, I go, guys, these teachers unions, not only do they not advocate for kids, they're not advocating for their own teachers. I want to show you we launched a teacher incentive um, uh, recruitment program that we said, we want to go find the best, brightest teachers in the country, bring them to Oklahoma. So we staggered a signing bonus. We, Hey, we went to the uh, business sector and we said, Hey, you know what they do? That's really great. When they find a job they can't fill, they go out and provide an incentive package to bring people into that. I mean, it, co pretty common sense there. So we launched it and we staggered all the way up to $50,000. If you are a super high quality teacher and are going into one of our high need areas, you can make up to $50,000 with a signing bonus. We get 800 teachers within a few weeks sign up for the program. And what do you know? The teachers unions oppose it. We then launch a teacher performance pay initiative that gives teachers up to $100,000 to stay in the classroom because we want to retain great teachers as well. Teachers unions oppose it. And so I continue going back to the teachers going, guys, at what point is it they're just advocating for the district to get more money that frankly isn't even finding its way to your pockets? We, we now in the state of Oklahoma hire more non-teachers than teachers in our schools. So I'm going, we're giving them more money. They're hiring less teachers. They're putting less money in the classroom. They're not even advocating for you all. This is an overly bureaucratic administration uh, organization that is simply trying to leverage money and power for their own sake uh, to grow their their you know ability to leverage those things. Okay. Thank you. So a, a, um, a columnist who shall remain nameless... Um, Columnist who shall remain nameless wrote this in a recent comment, like your opinions on it. The founder for the Campaign for Common Good, Philip K. Howard, has noted, while teacher pay has, has stagnated over the past two decades, to your point, the percentage of school budgets going to administrators has skyrocketed. Half the states now have more non-instructional personnel than teachers. Union officials and central bureaucrats owe their careers to the bureaucratic labor and they create and oversee. Now, Howard was attacked pretty energetically for that, saying that. Is he wrong? No, it, it no. He's spot on. It's a fact, and that's what I. Again, 
you see these unions leverage taxpayers and states. We have to have more money. But then not only does the money not go into the teacher's paychecks, not only does the money not go to the classroom, I'm sitting here, you know, trying to say, guys, what is your end goal here? Because you're not actively, you're against every solution. You you are continuing just to advocate. You know, you would think just in its name, a teacher's union would be leveraged against the administrators because they're their bosses. This is the way traditionally unions right. worked, right? That's right. And that's where you get teachers that sign up for them going, well, look, they're going to advocate for me, you know, and, and hey, you know, situations could be sticky sometimes legally, so I need that support. When in reality... That is absolutely not what's going on. We've seen the positions these unions have taken too. some of the most radical positions in the country that the, the, the national union takes. And we've been out telling our teachers, do you know, 40 percent of the pay that you're paying into your local union goes up to the NEA? And they go, you know, well, I don't agree with them. I go, well, that's what this is. It's money laundering to the National Association. Yeah. And that's why I stop with the teachers unions. Right. Because um, it's important to 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 build on part of a conversation we had on the earlier podcast. Um it's important to identify the problem before you can get about solving it, right? I'm not sure the problem is our teachers. I'm pretty confident the problem is our um, institutional architecture oh. and, and the and the the guardians thereof. Completely agree. And the teachers are the ones that get stuck. And in a, I, like I told you at the beginning, I saw an education system when I was a teacher that I said it didn't work. What it didn't work for kids very well, but it also didn't work for your teachers. Teachers very well, well. yeah. And, and so what they do though is the union always shifts. Hey, it's never their fault, right? It's always somebody else's fault. They always need more money when they actively are not pursuing any kind of solution that helps the teachers. Yeah, and my vibe is, and you know, you 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 um, were kind enough to spend some time talking to. Phil Kirpin. And Phil Kirpin, ladies and gentlemen, for the very few of you who don't know, is the chief of American Commitment, and he runs the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and he is the best brain. I call him the best propagandist. That is not fair. He is the best brain on our side of the issues on education and on health care. And truthfully, he's almost as good as me and Tom on energy and environment, which is kind of scary. We got to run to, to make sure we maintain our advantage. Um you were kind enough to talk to Phil, um, and you both kind of agreed that part of the trick of, of, of any kind of school choice system is going to be opening up additional schools. I, I have a, I have a, a serious question about this because I, I, you see pieces of this. Mm -hmm. You saw pieces of this during the pandemic where good teachers would like, you know, start small classes, right, that they, you know, like seven, eight kids that they would, I don't want to say, it, um, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Teaching, but also, you know, um, a tutoring, tutoring. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Right. You know, isn't that really going to sort of be the moment where um, the moment where school choice is going to take off, where, where, you know, your best teachers are going to say, OK, that's my exit point. Right. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to decide, you know, I've, I've, I got my I got my 20 or my 30 or whatever the state, you know, requires in a way of retirement in and I'm just going to scale out of here and, and go live without the requirements. Um Anyway, sorry, I didn't, that's my filibuster. Go ahead. No, I, I completely agree. You know, school choice is the beginning. Um, school choice creates the competitive environment that is necessary for schools to improve, to see dramatic increases in student outcomes. There has to be a competitive environment where people are actually incentivized to, to compete for better outcomes. But to your point, you're exactly right. So that environment, now that it's created, you have to have new schools that pop up that come in with new ideas that can start fresh, that can really push on the system and can also bring in, um, you know, 
go recruit really great teachers and let them kind of utilize these new innovative ideas they have. We've seen a lot of micro schools pop up, a lot of pods pop up. <clears throat> we have multiple charter schools that are popping up in our state. They're, one of them's a Tulsa Classical Academy. It is a, it's a based in classical learning. It's attached with Hillsdale College and it's great. And, and they had a huge wait list. And we also have the first religious charter school in the country, a Catholic charter school that we've taken a lot of flack over. I've been sued a few times over supporting that school. But you know what? To your point earlier, we've seen the, the Catholics do a tremendous job in their private schools, and they wanted to open up even more opportunities. They gave us a great application. We said, well, why in the world would we not do it? Um, now, again, the, the left has just lost their, their, their mind over it. But um, the reality is, is what we're seeing is in a school choice environment, you, you provide competition, and we want to find these these leaders, these talented individuals come in. Hey, try a new concept around a school. We we would love to encourage more of that. So we we are sounding the alarm in Oklahoma. We want all of those innovators in education. Please come to Oklahoma, open up a school, get involved. We we will we will be right there with you. I want to ask two questions. Uh, one is, is credentialing is credentialing a problem? Or yes, I want to ask it that way. Is credentialing a problem? And when I say credentialing, I mean, you know, in a lot of places, you, they re, you require a master's in education, or you, you the pay differential for between a master's and a non-master's is pretty significant. It, is that part of our problem here? Well, I, I think the problem is is we've continued to. I'll just I'll be real frank on this. Our colleges of education have not done a good job. We have, we have overemphasized ideology and the belief of that our colleges are really training teachers in a really, really great manner rather than appreciating life experience and subject matter expertise. So in Oklahoma, we've opened up, we have the teacher adjunct plan. I mean, and you think about this, you go, in college, if you had a subject matter expert, that's an adjunct professor, right? They may not have yeah. a PhD. We don't allow them in K-12 schools. Uh, the example we went around and gave was, so I've got a local banker, community loves him been very engaged in the community, worked in a bank his whole life. He wants to come in and teach math. And we tell him, what? Go back to college and get it. We're going, give get, me a break. Get your master's degree. Man. Yeah, go get, no, give me a break. So we've made it where every school can, if it, if they're a subject matter expert, and we gave that, hey, based on life experience, based on work experience, yeah, you can adjunct that individual, get them into a school working with kids. And we have heard success story after success story of, guess what? These are folks that love the subject matter. We bring them in. We kind of have this boot camp for them of, you know, hey, we can teach you some classroom management stuff. You know, we can do a lot of these things pretty quick. Let's get you in the classroom. And again, these are people that love their community, love the subject they teach. And so I can, my view of that is, look, we've got to find these other pathways to get. I want successful people who want to help kids in our classrooms. And so I think we've got to provide more opportunities for them to get in. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. One of the things I, one of the things I like doing is, um, the high school from which I graduated across the river here in Alexandria, right? They occasionally invite me in to teach math classes. They always have the same thing, right? They have me teach the um, the advanced placement guys and then the the lower class kids, right? The kids who weren't quite as good, right? And I was like, you know, the the the, the kids who weren't quite as good at math always come in with, hey, I, you know, I, I'm not good at math. I don't want comfortable with them. Like, dude, you every single one of you does math every day. You just don't think about it as math, right? You think about it, you know, as, as buying a dress or you think about it as the batting average of your favorite player or right. how many yards did you gain in a football game the other day, right? But you never – it's all math. Right. It's all math just all around you, right? I'm not sure teachers, you know, always sort of reach the right way. They need – sometimes they need help like like all of us, sure. even, even like podcasters. Um, <laughs> okay. 
Let me switch topics for a second. What is the most serious challenge we face as a country? Let me just stop, and while you're thinking about that, I'll filibuster for a second or two. Um, I assume you've run for office, what, how many times now? This is the first one. This is the first one. Okay, so you're already thinking about being president, so you gotta get you <laughs> got to get used to questions like sure. this. So what I think is the biggest danger to our country. Challenge. Challenge to our country. Challenge, danger, threat. I'll there take you. it all. Go ahead. <laughs> is that we have allowed the left to undermine our very institutions and settle into a belief that America is in decline, that America is, first of all, not wasn't exceptional, that this was all kind of by accident, and now the decline is inevitable. And 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 my and my problem with that is we have a lot of issues, right? We've got rampant inflation. Uh, we have issues with foreign governments right now. We, we've got we've got wars that apparently we can't get out of. We've got all, all these type of issues going on. But my fear of if we do not push back and change the understanding of American exceptionalism through most of society, and especially with this future generation, we don't have a compass to get back to. If you have a compass and you have a core set of principles that you believe are, are crucial, that you don't compromise on, well, then any problem, there will be problems, challenges, dangers that occur. But once once you identify them, once you dig into them, you have a path forward. Churchill used to say, you know, as far back as you can see in the past is as far ahead you can look in the future. But what we've done is we've corrupted our history. We've corrupted the understanding of America and what makes America great. So when you look at these problems, we have fewer and fewer people in society who see that's the path forward. Oh, we, we, we've got to correct to this. We've got a central belief that we can we can out, actually go out and talk about and, and design a, a plan to, towards that people follow us in. But now what we've got is this belief that you got a huge segment of the country that hates what America is. They don't want the next generation to understand what America is. So it undermines every part of our ability to solve those problems in our institutions. Wow. I'm going to give you an A plus on that answer. It's not right, but I'm going to give you an A plus anyway, because it's the <laughs> it's the second best answer I've ever heard. Well, I I, I want to hear now I want to hear the best. The the most serious challenge face? Yes, sir dissolution of the family. Yes, sir. But I could argue that what you're talking about is uh, an antecedent to that. So that's why I'm giving you the A plus because it, it's a it's a good answer. It's usually I get usually I get lousy answers like inflation or the Chinese or something. Well, I will say to to, to your point about the best answer there, uh, you know, dissolution of the family is absolutely the way that they achieve this. Mm -hmm. it is it is and I always say, look, it's an undermining of of our country, but but to be more precise, it's an undermining of our of our faith institutions, and it is an undermining of the basic building block. When God created society, we have we have a family unit that is the core unit, and that's where everything we do in education. I I say our core principle is to align as much as we can around the family. Yeah. Everything we're trying to do is we want them more engaged. We want them to have more knowledge about their education. We want them to find better better ways for them to interact with us. Yeah, um, I get it totally. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy there, mm -hmm. he's totally wrong, right? The nuclear family is not a unit of governance. It's a way of ordering your life. It, it's, right. To call it a unit of governance is to wildly underestimate its importance. I, I take I take all your points. Um, all right. Yeah. What final thoughts do you have for our audience? Well, I appreciate you having me on. You know, what I feel is is we've got to win this fight for our education system. 
In Oklahoma, we're laying out the blueprint. We are absolutely upending the education establishment by putting the parents as a central unit to understand everything in education goes through the parents. We give them maximize their choice. We maximize their involvement by, by ensuring they have rights and what their kids are taught, how money is spent in a district. But then we've created this competitive environment to say, listen, here's what we want. We want excellence. Now go out and compete for it. We're going to create a free market system in education by number one, allowing choice. Number two, paying for performance. Number three, going out and actively um, um, recruiting high talent. And we're going to continue to move along these lines to get innovators like the Tulsa Classical Academy, like the Catholic Charter School in. And we're going to see Oklahoma have a dramatic increase in student performance because we're embracing these principles. That doesn't mean it doesn't come without a fight. I've got Democrats and the teachers unions that are fighting me daily, but I'm not going to back down from that. The parents have have spoken loudly and clearly on what they want. And I believe you can see this across the country. You can see it in different states. If you embrace this and you lead on the fight and you embrace the, the family as the core uh, to everything you're doing and the parents as the voice for that, we can get this turned around. But again, for America to continue to be exceptional, um, I do love the, the, the phrase of, you know, decline is a choice. We can be exceptional, but we've got to drive that, that, that home. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, you know, long story short, um, you gotta love the kids, man. That's right. You gotta love them, try to do right by them because they're going to be inheriting all this mess. Um, I have been asked on numerous occasions what it is I know about education policy. I want to point out that I've been in in the educational system for 20 years of my life. So I know, I, as a consumer, I know it very well. Um, I also, my dad, um, my dad litigated the first homeschool case in New York State, the first sequence of homeschool cases in New York back when it, everyone was like, hey, you can't actually keep your kids out of school. My old man um, helped establish the precedent that, yeah, you can, in fact, homeschool your kids. So well, can I say how huge that is now? You look at that now of some of the pioneers that fought to protect homeschooling. Yep. And now it is such a growing movement. And again, as we talked about, as you talked about the importance of the family, we want to do all we can. Hey, if you have the ability to keep your kids at home, you get to spend more time with your kids. You get your kids more around your family. We should be encouraging that. And there's some states that crack down on it. You know, for, for yeah, no, I appreciate that. Like I said, we're, you know, we're up, my dad, I worked for Mike Ferris when he was uh, running for Lieutenant Governor of Virginia. And so I'm, I'm, I've, I've been tangled up with the, my, my, um, yeah, two youngest sisters homeschool, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I know they both do. I think they both. I know they both do. Um, it, it's it's not for everybody. Um, just like just like one size fits all. Any kind of education isn't for everybody, right? That's why you have different modes and different ways of doing it. But it's um, it's an important part of it, and I'm proud that my dad had something to do with it. So so that's good. All right. Ryan Walters, how do we find you since you're obviously about to become an important man in America? Uh, okay. Well, you can follow me on social media, Ryan Walters, superintendent. I'm on Twitter, Facebook. There's also RyanWaltersForOklahoma.com where we send updates on what we're doing. Also have a newsletter there. So I'd uh, love for folks to sign up there too. And I, hey, I appreciate the time and it, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming by and I'm sorry that I'm not smart enough to ask really difficult questions on this topic. <laughs> Oh, this is a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ron. Excellent interview about a really important subject that we don't talk about as much as possibly we should, but I uh, appreciate you taking the time to interview Ryan and Mike. And your, your interview skills are getting better, man. You're, you're starting to like get a cadence. I like it. I like it. Practice. Practice makes 
just slightly better than mediocre in my case. Yeah, he's a very interesting guy, right? And he's a, he's a young guy in case I didn't come across on the on the interview, right? I don't want to say he's a kid because he's probably in his middle 30s, but he, he's got a lot of energy to him. I, I imagine this is not his last stop on the train. So, uh, you know, and I yeah, was – go ahead. I just – I think that, you know, uh, what we're seeing in this country right now, uh, and we talked about it a lot during the uh, Virginia governor race, is parents – kind of had their eye off the ball on this education stuff for for a long time and the, the more they peel back the, the the onion on this the more they realize that what they're learning in school is not giving them the skills they need to be successful in life that's right that that it, it's beyond that right teachers and i've said this before i'll say it again you know once parents become radicalized they they never become unradicalized because they see what's going on and teachers not all teachers but some consider themselves change agents right that's the phrase they use all the time you know well guess what they're trying to change the kids from what you're trying to teach them to what they want to teach them so anytime you have a teacher who considers themselves a change agent you need to run for your lives and the administrators are of course the real problem right and, you know most teachers just want to do their thing they're not in it for for political reasons the administrators, they're, um, they are the Maoist cadre in this crowd. And yes, I said Maoist cadre. Okay, so let's shift gears. Uh, this one comes, you sent it to me, our producer sent it to me, some of our contributors sent it to me. It is from Utility Dive. Moody's downgrades Orsted Outlook to negative amid U.S. offshore wind struggles. Orsted, the company behind half of the offshore wind farms under construction in the U.S., is willing to walk away from them if, quote, financial conditions don't improve. And then when you sent it to me, you're like, yeah, what paragraph set me off? I guessed it was the one where the CEO said the Northeast states would need to really balance their desire to increase offshore wind with what it would mean in terms of an increase in power prices for their customers, he said. And does that mean that lower income electricity Customers may need to get more support from the state to offset the increase in power prices. Yeah. It, it, yes. Yeah. It was also, it was the next paragraph down where he identified the actual specific amount he had in his head. It was like, hey, power price is going to have to increase by double digits. Okay. So, and Orsted's going to the federal government for more help. And the federal government's like, hey, we're tapped. We're not going to give you any more other than the tax credits. The, um, this is the this is the latest in a line of in a line of rate cases. Now, this is not a rate case. The line, line of rate cases and whatnot at the state level, where people have been seeking more cash for um, essentially to prop up wind and solar projects. The you know in New York, you're still waiting around. This is New York, right? But we're still waiting around for the Lake Champlain, um, the Lake Champlain. Um, guys, the 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 um, guys who are running transmission line from Hydro Quebec down to uh, New York City, they're going to come in and ask for an additional billion dollars. That's all going to the ratepayers, right? And, Other people's money. Yeah. Well, the, here's the thing: we've been told for years and years and years now that that this is going to be cheaper. And yeah, it's, it's free. It's it's that's a lie. I mean, I'm not saying that people shouldn't do it. If you want to do it, go ahead and do it. But it's a lie that it's cheaper. All right, here, here's the cheaper. here's the other whopper. Here's the other line in here. Nipper told Bloomberg it is inevitable 
that consumer energy prices will increase as offshore wind farms are brought online in the U.S. And if they don't, neither we nor any of our colleagues are going to build more offshore. Yeah. So, like that's a like a the, head deal. Did you also see that? Like that's some Washington? like that's some kind of threat, right? Like, yeah, we'll yeah. miss you. Sorry. Did you see that Washington State deal in? Uh, I think it was Puget Sound. No. So the I can't remember if it was the PUC or the AG or somebody in Washington State said you're not allowed to explain. You are forbidden from explaining the rate increase on your bill because it would be too complicated. Yeah. yeah. That is literally what is going on in Washington state right now. They are, they are no longer providing transparency about the price of their, their, their uh, retail electricity. Yeah. It's this is what they've resorted to. You know, this is this is this 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 thing is this wave is about to crest and then break. And and I'll tell you the two places where it's going to break. It's going to break in California and in Virginia because both of those governors want to be president. Gavin Newsom's not going to let the prices get run up, right? And uh, Glenn Youngkin in Virginia has got the Virginia Clean Energy Act sitting there, in which Dominion's got a right to um, do offshore wind like an $8 billion project, which is cool. Everyone's like, yeah, that's great. It's all exciting. Except if you divide $8 billion by the 4 million ratepayers in Virginia, you wind up with 2000 bucks per ratepayer. That's not going to – there's no way. And by the way, $8 billion is like the front number. Who knows what it winds up being? It's not going to happen that way. And Youngkin's not going to let it happen that way. We're starting to see – the the beginnings of the political pushback to this stuff. We're like, oh, we're not we're not going to do it then. Right? That's just that we're not going to do it because we but can't. I thought it was free. I thought this was all free. That's true. Free and happy now. So so far in this podcast, there are uh, there's a clear desire, and it's actually happening, of preemptively shutting off your power. And now uh, the the rate increases are no longer. Uh, uh, going to be transparent because they're too complicated for the average you know for, for you for us rubes and then you've got this offshore wind stuff and the virginia stuff that you talked about like it yeah it's it's like i said it, you know reality catches up with everybody and the fact that offshore wind comes in at about three x three times like the the price of onshore natural gas um, tells you that it's not sustainable in any kind of system that's open, transparent, and like a working, functioning political system. Anyway. All right. So uh, two quick hits on coal. India steps up coal use to stop outages triggered by unusually dry weather. This is from Reuters. Coal's share in power output rose to 66.7% in August the highest for the month in six years, according to a Reuters analysis of government data. Um, in August, uh, power generation surged to a record 162.7 billion kilowatt hours, unusually dry August. The monsoons aren't uh, hitting them like they usually do. Climate change, we're all going to die. Um, coal plants, let's see... India's peak demand, the mass, maximum capacity required during any time of the day, rose to a record 243 gigs, uh, et cetera. So coal's share and output rose to 74.2%. Yeah. That's, 
quite a bit of coal generation. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, people use what they have. And the, I just don't – I don't understand why this is so controversial. Like People use what they have, and what the Indians got is coal. And if they had something else, they'd probably – if they had something better, they'd use that. But you know what? The important thing is is that people are getting electricity, which means they're getting to refrigerate food and medicines, and they're getting air conditioning, and they're they're – they're getting lighting so their kids can go to school. And that's all a hell of a lot more important to most people than any other considerations. Sorry, I didn't mean to be – I didn't mean to sound like Alec Epstein there for 10 seconds, but it's the truth. <laughs> Epstein. Whatever. Palestine. Like Einstein. Pal- Pal- corrected me once. Palestine. Said, we love Alex. But... He, he didn't really, okay. But we don't like Bloomberg. Being, but we don't like being corrected by anybody. Bloomberg. Yo. China's coal build out raises questions on future power plans. <laughs> <laughs> China's coal build out raises questions on future power plans. Nations continuing to permit new coal plants. Report says Chinese officials have said. Coal should support wind and solar. All right. Uh, and our buddy, uh, Gee, Steve wish... Malloy, tweeted this. This is great. China is now building 243 gigawatts of new coal power. 243? That's more than all the existing coal plants in the U.S. and would increase China's capacity to burn coal by 23%. If you're doing anything to reduce emissions, you're wasting your time. Wow. 243 gigs, really? That's a lot. That's a lot. So China is working hard, arm in arm with special envoy Kerry to save the planet. You know, I've said this a bunch of times. I'll say it one more time. If you are an adherent to the Kyoto Protocol and the Paris Accords, if you think they're good ideas, I'm, and you think they're going to actually solve whatever it is, whatever problem you think is going on with climate change, you might want to think about like just looking at the actual real world, what's gone on here in the last 25 years now since Kyoto and the last whatever it's been since Paris. What's it been since Paris? Five, six, seven, eight years? It, whatever it is you guys think happening is not happening. Sorry, Tom. That's a, you know, that's, that's a, fine. It just, I'm like, just. What's happening is we're getting hammered at the pump. What's happening is we're, we're now uh, less assured that we have reliable power. What's happening is we're paying more for it. What's happening is uh, the entire, uh, this entire agenda is, is basically like costing regular folks I, I, I south of Richmond. Uh, an arm and a leg for what? I was going to say, and and worldwide emissions are marching steadily upward. This reg- these these regimes, these regimes put in place by guys like like Secretary Kerry, Special Envoy Kerry, you know, Vietnam War hero Kerry. Um, these regimes put in place are failing. They're failing. Forget forget what you think about climate change. Forget what you think it's an urgent problem or nothing. It doesn't matter. The regimes in place are failing at what they are supposed to, uh, what they said they would do. You, everyone, more, you, they just if if everyone would just get on board with the program, then everything would be fine. Everybody's China's a China's a signatory to Paris. China's a signatory to Kyoto. 
It, this are, these are not the things that I negotiated. These are things guys like Kerry negotiated. People, people on all sides of this conversation, open your eyes because you are being lied to. Sorry, I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy theorist. All right, speaking of being lied to, I've got one more and a quick one and then a close. Okay, because I got one thing myself, so go ahead. All right. Actually, I got two things. Speaking of being lied to, (laughs) speaking of Detroit news, this suit says Burger King is telling a big whopper in ads, and the judge is letting it proceed. A federal judge in Miami has denied Burger King's motion to dismiss a lawsuit by customers accusing the company of misrepresenting the size of its popular Whopper and Big King sandwiches with photos showing the meat patties as larger than what customers actually receive. We are getting ripped off by the Burger King. Yeah. Okay. So two things. First off, there's nothing tastier than a Whopper. Um, I do like a Whopper. Of course you do. Of course you do. Yeah. Who doesn't? Once in a while, just yeah. grab one. It's the best. It's the best. That, so that's that's thing one. And then thing number two is, and I'm not sure how to say this, but let me just say it. You know, what guy hasn't lied, lied about size from time to time? Yeah. Come on. It happens. You're talking about fish, fishing tails or something else. <laughs> I, I want to show you the, the, the picture that accompanied the article. Actual size, current advertisement. <laughs> okay, so the photos retouched a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty close. Porn. It's pretty close. It's just food porn. It's I, no big deal. If, if, right, what do you got? I tell you what, if that's getting litigated, half of Instagram should be in jail because you know, they are the king of food porn over at Instagram. Um, what do I got? I got uh, I got uh, two things. One serious, one more important. Um, serious one is I wrote a column on Section Three, the Fourteenth Amendment. Under which um, lots of Democrats and some Republicans are arguing that President Trump, because he engaged in either insurrection or gave aid and comfort to enemies of the United States, should be disqualified from state ballots in this election cycle. And we're going to have lawsuits on it. And there may be secretaries of state who, who seriously consider removing him from the ballot without any kind of hearing or anything like that, right? This is without a doubt the most dangerous idea I've ever heard. You know, we are. I, I'm actually glad you brought it up because I had it on my list, but I've got so much plus the interview. So thank you. you know, it 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 is it is a terrible, terribly dangerous idea to disenfranchise 80 million people who are what? who are already convinced that their government and their economic system is hostile to them. I, there's no way it, if secretaries of state really do start to strike. Um, a an otherwise legitimate candidate from their from their ballots, there will be violence. There will be violence, I and mean, there's there's just no way around it. And it, I, this thing has run, been run by lawyers so far, and they seem careless and stupid. And I worry a lot about it. I what, really do. What is the pathology here with this guy? I mean, crazy. I know he's not one of them. You know, I know he goes to Davos and calls everyone a bunch of idiots. I know he goes to the UN and says, you know, you globalists are going to lose. But I mean, he did a lot of great stuff, but I mean, what's the second term? What are they, what are they so afraid of? I don't know. With this guy. You know, the funny thing is with the exception of immigration and some China thing, some parts of the China um, agenda, 
he governed pretty much like George Bush governed. I mean, I, nobody likes to hear that, but that's the truth, right? He was he was kind of a middle of the fairway Republican. I don't know why this guy drives people to do this kind of thing. Somebody must understand that you just can't do this. It it will end. It will. I, I honest. I wrote this and I believe this. It will make the United States ungovernable for years. For years, it's one of those things yeah. that you, there will be no coming back. This and, is, and it's also. I mean, it's a continuation of this blue red divide. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sure. You know, you're going to get an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? It's. So. I'm, I'm. This thing is an escalation of the of that in way in a way that I had not anticipated serious people would talk about. It's like it's like layer upon layer upon layer, like 91 indictments. This guy's got a massage through, right? Like there, I, I don't one, one of I'm the, impressed with his yeah his facing his, that he's that that he's able to do. I mean I was I was I had a lawyer up in the 90s because of some stuff, you know, uh Abramoff deal. And I was like a wreck, right? Like it was nerve wracking. It was like, this is real stuff. On the other hand, this guy's been getting sued since he was in his late twenties. So it's kind of pro forma, right? You have your meeting with the lawyers. I will say this, right? One of the guys, one of the, one of the lawyers, professor, one of the legal professors who wrote um, for the Pennsylvania Law Review wrote this article, right? This, this is a Republican guy, he's a Federal Society guy. He's a former clerk to John Roberts. You know, that that that's the kind of people who are talking about this stuff now. People who should know better are starting to play footsie with this idea. Yeah, it's never Trumper thing. It's just wow, I, I dangerous. And you know me, I'm not a never Trumper. I'm not an always Trumper. But this thing is a, a level of this thing's a level of of um, potential violence. It's like a Sherman march through our through our our institutions and our and and our norms i I, as recently as a month ago i wouldn't have believed you if you told me people were seriously thinking about this but there's been a flurry in the last couple of weeks it's bad anyway section three watch out for it kids read my column it's great it's genius it's brilliant is it out yet yeah it ran this morning um thank you washington times for um, co-sponsoring this and we'll throw that in the show notes for absolute certain go ahead with your okay hope you're hope this is a little lighter that's a more important it's, it is more it's more important but it's lighter um all right since baseball season is wandering its way to its natural conclusion the yankees now having won eight of nine games when like there's nothing to play for <laughs> yeah we've we've officially become like a second division team um we're going to go to football. It's time for predictions, ladies and gentlemen. Time for predictions. All right, you ready? Who's going to win? All right, let's do it. Who's going to win the AFC? No. <laughs> Ask me that. You know what my answer is going to be. Go, go, go ahead. <laughs> I, I'm just a... I'm just a diehard, man. I'm in the mafia. I got to go with the Bills and get disappointed again. All right. Producer? Uh, I'll say the Bills and NFC. I'll say the Lions. The, the Lions? I want the record to reflect that our producer is, of course, from Michigan. Because who, who else would answer? Who else would answer the Lions? <laughs> you got the same syndrome as me. The, the, 
the Lions? The Lions? No, we won't see what's going to do. The Lions are going to win tonight and then lose the next ten games. They're they are the Mets. They were they they were a surprise. They were a surprise team last year. They did they way exceeded expectations. Um, Tom, they're the Mets. Yeah. They're the yeah, mess. I'm just trying to help my producer out. Come on. I know. I, look, I like him too, but don't don't encourage. Uh, don't what encourage are you, who are you NFC. Wait with? a minute. You didn't pick somebody from the NFC. Let's have it. Um, NFC. I don't know. Minnesota. Sure. It's good an answer as any. Yeah. Um, okay. Who's going to win a Super Bowl? Bills against Minnesota. The Bills. They're going to finally win the Super Bowl. Producer. <laughs> they're going to. Break the curse. No, they're not. Producer? Well, the Lions will never win a Super Bowl, so. <laughs> That's out, right? <laughs> okay, so both of you are going to be on the Bills team, I guess. All right, the correct answers are, of course, the Eagles are going to win the NFC, uh, the NFC just because they're too far ahead of everybody right now. AFC? Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 think, um, I think it's either going to be Joe Burrow and the Bengals or the Chargers. I think the Chargers might finally have figured out a way to, to un- unlock the door there. Um, and I'll I, pick one of them. The Bengals. And the th- Bengals. And I think the, the Bengals. Bengals. The I, worst helmet in the NFL. Yeah, I think the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl. Whoever comes right. out, whichever AFC team is, is going to win the Super Bowl, because the Eagles are – Eagles, if they played in the AFC, the Eagles would be no better than the fourth best team. So that's that. Yeah. All right, go Bills. Maybe this is your year. Um, I'm just looking Maybe. for the, I'm just looking for the Giants to you know make it to the playoffs again. We'll show a little improvement. Okay, so I've got one here. It it was from our friends at Super 70s Sports. Yeah. Uh John Tyler, America's 10th president, was born in 1790. He has a living grandson. Yes. Not great, not great, great, regular grandson. Yeah. Read that again as many times as you need to absorb it. I'm going to keep talking about this until it's not true anymore because it's bleeping bonkers. <laughs> All right. So, of course, three-year letterman chimed in and said, John Tyler was born during the presidential administration of the late, great Ben Franklin, <laughs> to which he got his usual, dude, he wasn't even president. Yeah. All right, here's the jump. Ready? John Tyler, 1790 to 1862. Lion Gardner Tyler. 1853 to 1935. Yeah. Harrison Rufin Tyler, 1928, and he's still alive. Yeah. Um. That, that spell that middle name for me. That's R U F F I N. R U F F I N. I N. Yeah. Ruffin. Um, Ruffin. Rufin. Ruffin. Yeah. So okay. So first off, that guy lives in Virginia. He lives. I think he lives in Chesterfield County, about three or four blocks, three or four miles from where I live. Um. Second off, the interesting thing about the Ruffin family is that Edward Ruffin from Virginia, Chesterfield, right? right Again, right down the road, right? Edward Ruffin fired the first shot at Fort Sumter. Oh, wow. He, okay. He went, that's to, pretty cool. he, he went on down to Charleston so he could be the first guy to fire the first shot. That's, that's how crazy the Ruffin family is. To, 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 this, to this day, half the South County is named Ruffin this, Ruffin that, Ruffin's Mill. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm well familiar with the Tyler thing. Yeah. And so the jump is, of course, to make the jump, both Tyler John and Tyler Lyon married young, young, young ladies. So, uh, so, uh, are, are, is this a recommendation? Is this where? No, I'm just giving you how kind of how it 
it's pretty cool. About. It's pretty impressive to, to pretty impressive to father a kid nine years before you're dead. But yeah. Uh, I, All right. Uh, that is it for me. Anything from you, sir? I'm sure I'm supposed to think of something witty and best in finals. Charming. No, I think I'm it for the week. God rest in God rest in uh, your soul, Jimmy Buffett up there in Margaritaville, and uh, we will close with the one and only. I feel very strongly about um, the importance as a general matter of engaging in U.S. policy as it relates to foreign affairs in a way that we pay attention, of course, to the immediate concerns and threats if they exist, but that we also pay attention to 10, 20, 30 years down the line and what we are developing now that will be to the benefit of our country then. It, it, Hapless and hopeless. Her, her speech right well, Let's put it this way. She did not have a margarita and then write a song about it. Uh, I tell you what, her speechwriters get paid, right? Uh, they should be oh, given, man. They should be given their money wild. back. Somebody should I, be I mean, sued for malpractice here. You can't make it up. You just got to play it and let people enjoy it. And enjoy episode number 147 because we're in the books. Peace out, everybody, and namaste. Namaste.